Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we are doing the second installment in our new series on how I found my Great Loop boat, and Bill and Bobby Bristow, who are Platinum Loopers, will be joining us. As always, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Bill and Bobby Bristow, thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's fun to be here. Great to be with you. And Bill and Bobby, for those of you who don't know them, are Platinum Loopers, and if you're brand new to this, Platinum means that they have been around more than once. So for them, the, the more than once is, is two times. Um, we have yeah. some who have gone around more than that. Um, <laughs> but they are part of a group of um, just about 100 boats, actually, is, is about the total of, of all of the Platinum Loopers that we have on record. So um, they are part of a, a small and elite group. So thanks for joining us, Bill and Bobby. Um, I kind of gave an introduction about a little bit about you, since you are Platinum Loopers. But tell us a little bit more about yourselves and about um, your two Great Loop trips. Okay, well, uh, we are from Colorado. So uh, hearing about the Great Loop was kind of an unusual little thing. A friend planted that seed in our ear a long, long time ago, and we briefly did some research on it, and that grew. But we um, had a boat in Colorado. We had small cabin cruisers, and we went around in circles on all the reservoirs and, and lakes out there and uh, neighboring states. and. And finally, it was time to figure out how and when we were going to do the loop and get out of going around in circles on lakes. And, and we were both from the Great Lakes. I was from Michigan and he was from Ohio. So we were used to big water and uh, grew up boating with our parents on big water. So, and we just had the thing that we just had to do something more than go around in circles in Colorado. So you made a bigger circle a couple of there times. You go, bigger <laughs> circle. We, we, we were practicing our left-hand turns. There you go. <laughs> Lots of practice on the lakes there in Colorado first, and then the, the bigger left-hand turns all the way around. That's right. Um, so we're not going to keep everyone in suspense. Tell us what boat you used for both of your great loops. Uh, we uh, decided on a main ship 400, so, and it just turned out to be the perfect boat for us. And, and so many loopers say that. The main ships are really popular and have been for a few years for the Great Loop. Um, so we're going to kind of dive into the process of selecting that for the two of you um, and, you know, what kind of led you to that decision and eventually finding that perfect boat for you. So um, where did you start? You know, what was the first thing you did when you decided you were tired of going around in circles on the lakes of Colorado um, and it was time for the loop? Where did you start your search? Well, actually, we had bought a four winds, 35 foot four winds, which was uh, twin V, no, twin gas engine. High performance High gas performance. Engine. And we thought, well, we can do the loop on this. And the more we researched and the more we researched, we went, oh, no, we don't think we want to do uh, the loop on uh, 35 foot four winds. So we started doing a little bit more research into, you know, online. And when you're in a landlocked state like Colorado, there's not a lot of trawlers out there to look at at all. So, right. Uh, well, and, and it is more, more and more common um, for the loop to be done in motor yachts. So for those who are brand new at this whole process, 
tell us what it is about the four winds, the high performance gas engines that for you made it unsuitable for the Great Loop. Is it just the amount of fuel you were going to go through or is it more to it? No, it was more to that. I mean, obviously, you know, first of all, using a gasoline powered boat, um, we found out is, is not the most desirable to do. And we started looking into trying to reconfigure even the railings around the boat so that we could get around the boat more safely from, from the stern to the bow. Um, also, it was brought to my attention that, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to be down below preparing meals or something, and I'll miss half of the loop being, being down below the boat in the, in the, in the cabin area. So with, with those being said, that, that sort of helped make the decision that, whoops, we don't want to do it in this one. Um, let's, let's see what else is out there that makes it more uh, viable for us to do it in. And, and that's great information. So for, for you, it just wasn't suitable for the long-term kind of live aboard lifestyle because of the features. So you, you went ahead and you made um, what you say was initially a very long list of features and eventually had to narrow that down to just a few. Um, so tell us what some of those features were on that initial list and, and what you eliminated and, and why you chose to eliminate some of those things. Well, one was we didn't want teak because we decided that teak was going to be maintenance, you know, maintaining all that wood. Uh, we didn't want a ladder that went up to a flying bridge. We wanted steps. We had two dogs and the two dogs did the loop with us or the loops with us. And then, um, we wanted a windlass and uh, we wanted a bow thruster, twin diesels. Um, we wanted a complete walk around on the outside, a safe walk around, not something that I'm holding, trying to hold on to railings uh, when I'm doing locks and lines, but we wanted a nice, safe, complete walk around. Uh, I think we wanted a, a flying bridge, a, a comfortable salon, um, a, a walk around, stateroom. Uh, we wanted two staterooms. Um, you know, just sort of the things that you put on your wish list that you can take and, and uh, start to look at to go from there. And windows. We wanted windows. I didn't want a porthole. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and as most folks who, who undertake this search for a Great Loop boat find out, lots of times it's a compromise. So you start with your big list of features and sometimes have to whittle that down. So did you um, whittle it down during the search, saying we're just not going to find something that has all of these, or did you find the main ship and then realize it didn't have some of those features, but that was okay because it was otherwise you know, the perfect boat? Well, a lot of boats have teak and all those you know things that we didn't want, but we really narrowed it to top three things because most boats had a lot of the things that we did want, and few of them had things we didn't want, for instance, like the teak. So we narrowed it to twin engines, uh, windows, and the safe walk around were the top three priorities. And that's where the main ship came in, that it hit all of those. It did. And it also, uh, one of the things you mentioned on the big list was the actual steps yes. up to the flybridge, which a lot of people exactly. love about the main ship. Um, what else was it about the main ship that you know were features that were important to you and really kind of made it the perfect boat for you? Um, well, it, it had the bow thruster. Um, it uh, had a washer and dryer on it. Um, yeah. 
the other thing that turned up that we didn't really realize at the time, but it had the folding, the folding radar arch, which turned out on our, our first loop to be huge. And um, we had a, it had a summer kitchen that was probably not on any of our wish lists, but it was there and it was nice. Um, the, the flying bridge was a, was a wonderful ad. I mean, that added another whole dimension to the boat because it gave you another whole room per se. And uh, we, we did most of our traveling from up there. We did a lot of our entertaining up there. And it, I mean, it was large enough that we were anchored out at Boston Bar once, which is uh, right on, right on the Mississippi, right before the, uh, the wow. Ohio River. And we ended up having cocktails on our flying bridge with, I think, six other boats. So, I mean, they all came over, they brought their dinghies over, and we were all set on the flying bridge nicely. So that was a fun perk that we didn't realize we were going to end up with. Yeah. Now, the main ship 400 has a lower helm station as well, correct? That is correct. Was that something that you were looking for, um, and, and did you use it? A lot of folks that have a fly bridge and a lower helm rarely use the lower helm. Uh, what, what was your experience with that? We, we did use it, but sparingly. Um, rain. Rain and or the, the night crossing of the Gulf. Um, it got chilly. We, we took it and obviously if conditions weren't, you know, real good to begin with, chances are we didn't go anywhere. But um, if, if there were adverse conditions, we would take it and we would be down there and, and utilize that. We also did utilize it on the on the Erie Canal because uh, we were able to take it and get down to our height that we needed to get up underneath all the bridges. And it also made it for some of the locks for him to exit. I could be out back. He could exit the helm easily enough out of the, that side door just to get to any lines he might have to do with the locks as well. Okay. And you mentioned on your first loop that having the hinged arch became helpful. Um, was there an unexpected route change, route choice that you made, or it just, um, you know, which, which route choice did you take actually through the, the, into the Great Lakes? We did the entire Erie Canal. Okay. And that, and we had made that decision early on because I had family in the Detroit area. He has family in Northern Ohio. Uh, we both love Cedar Point Amusement Park and our kids, we figured our kids from Colorado could fly and join us, which they did at Cedar Point and, and enjoy that. So we had always planned on doing kind of the Erie Canal and having that hinge made it arch met me good. The, the, the boat had, a, had an air draft of, of 18.6, which obviously was too tall, but with the hinged arch, we got down to 15.3. And uh, so we were able to take and, and, and make that all happen. Yeah. So for those uh, listening or watching who don't know, the heights can be very confusing. Um, but to go all the way through the Erie Canal, the western portion does require, I think it's 15.6. So you squeaked under there, I'm sure. Um, if you didn't have the radar hinge arch, you could have still gone into the Erie Canal to the Oswego Canal, which is a pretty typical route for the larger uh, air draft boats. Um, but uh, case in point, this year with the Canadian U.S. border still closed, there are many looper boats that will be doing the length of the Erie Canal. 
if they can get under those bridges. So having that hinge arch for somebody going through this year would be a great feature. Exactly. <laughs> um, those that can't get under the Western Erie are having to jump through some extra hoops to, to go through the Oswego and still not go to Canada. So, and we've covered that in the podcast with the Wellington Canal and the hoops to jump through there. Um, so it is of course possible, but there are lots of the, the taller boats right now wishing they could get under those 15 yeah. foot bridges so that the hinged radar arch would be perfect this year. Um, let's see, uh, when in the process, you know, you had your features list, you're in Colorado, how hard was it to actually start to get aboard boats? When in the process did you actually start to, you know, be able to actually climb aboard and look and feel and touch and see? Well, it was November of 2016, uh, the AGLCA was doing a seminar, a weekend seminar in Charleston. So we said, well, we better go to that and figure that. And in the meantime, we found some main ships in uh, New York. And then we found some main ships in, Mo in the Alabama, Mobile, Alabama area. So I booked a, we booked trips from, fly from Denver to New York. We looked at three main ships. And that was the first time never we, been ever, we had ever been on a boat like that. I mean. And we got on our first main ship, and we got off and went, yeah, we can live on this. this <laughs> so, uh, and you had owned boats before, so that probably helped. Um, yes. But it sounds like you had you had pretty well narrowed it down to the main ships before you ever got aboard one. We, when, when we started booking the trips and, and wanting, we were specifically targeting main ships. That was the boat that we were at least going to give serious consideration to. And, and when we, like she said, when we stepped on the first one we go okay we're, we're in the right direction now at any point along the way I'm, I'm pretty sure you've attended some aglca rendezvous where we have big looper crawls um i know you did two loops so you certainly came across all different kinds of boats did you at any point go maybe maybe we should have expanded the search beyond the main ships or has it always just felt right to you it, it, it fit like a glove it was it was a, it was a, it was a good piece for us I love to hear that. I'm going to take a quick break here and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I want to dive into a little bit about how you actually found the one, the main ship that you ended up purchasing. So we'll pause and we'll be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Bobby and Bill Bristow. They are platinum loopers, and they are sharing with us the story of how they found their Great Loop boat. And so we've talked about how you had uh, fairly early in the search, I guess, uh, zoomed in on the main ships as being uh, right for you. How did you go about actually finding the one? And, and I ask that in part because we know this is such a challenging market right now for buyers because the boats are selling so fast. Um, so once you knew, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of people probably don't know 
at the position that you were at that they want a main ship. They may, it may be a broader search, but you knew you right. wanted a main ship. How did you end up finding the right main ship for you? Well, we went from Colorado to New York, going back up, and then we went to Charleston, and we flew out of Charleston and went to Mobile, Alabama, and we were supposed to look at two there, but because the one seller was moving his boat from Mobile to, um, well, to get ready to do the Gulf Crossing, uh, we ended up having to drive three hours to Panama City. We saw that boat, got back to... Um, mobile and time to ca barely catch our flight out. We didn't get to see the, the we didn't second. get to see the second boat in Mobile. Mm -hmm. um, sitting in Atlanta Airport, we looked at the spreadsheet we had prepared and ready, and all our little notes and check marks. And from being in New York and being and we, by the time we got home, knew that we were going to put an offer on the main ship that was in um, well Florida at that time from that we saw in Mobile, Florida area, and. From then till from the middle of November until we closed on her finally the end of January. And that was just between the holidays and scheduling the survey and, you know, getting everything in order and lined up. And we had a wonderful patient seller that uh, worked with us. And mm -hmm. so. we get a lot of questions uh, from members about whether they should engage a buyer's broker. Did you do that from the start? And, and in the end, did you use a broker at all for this process? We did not have a buyer's broker because one, we really didn't. We, we didn't start out with a buyer's broker. Right. We didn't know about it. We just, because we contacted the broker that was selling the boat to be able to look at it. And so no, on that, on that particular purchase, we did not have, Michael said he would then represent us. Um, Michael Ludwig, and I think his name was, uh, mm -hmm. said he would, you know, and he was, he was fair, but we did not have a, buyers, a separate buyer's broker. Going into it. Going into mm -hmm. it. And he, he ended up taking and, and working the deal through with us. He, he, he did go ahead then and represent us um, to, to finish everything up and get everything going and through the surveys and all. And was that um, nerve wracking in any way? You know, you were using the seller's broker basically to represent both sides and that happens a lot. Um, so clearly it was something that you were comfortable with, but did you have any concerns there? We, we didn't know better, and, and so we felt very comfortable with making that decision. Um, I think I think we had a good seller. I think there's a good broker involved for both. Uh -huh. um, you know, obviously, he has to walk a fine line between both ends of it. And um, I think we obviously it worked well for everybody, I think. Yeah, excellent. So you used the main ship for two full loops. Yes. But you no longer own her, correct? That's correct. Why did you decide to sell? Well, first of all, it was a you know it, it was a great boat for three and a half, four years for us. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the the situation was we still wanted to be able to uh, venture out and and go back and, and visit places and and do things like that. And we've sort of decided that. Um, we, we had done the journey. Now we just wanted the adventure. Mm -hmm. and the so, destination, the, the destination. Yeah. And right. so, and then also, um, having living in Florida and having to get it hurricane ready turned in, it, it wasn't a big deal, but it was definitely a, an undertaking and, and getting it ready for, for that. Now we've never had any 
severe problems with it, but just getting it ready for, for a storm is a, is a task. It so, is. And you're paying a lot for the insurance to keep it in Florida as well. <laughs> and we bought a trailer of a boat. We replaced mm -hmm. it with uh, one we can put on the back of the, on a trailer in the back of the truck and go 70 miles an hour. And we can get to Kentucky Lakes a little mm -hmm. quicker or if once Canada opens, go back up. We can go back up to the Great Lakes. We can just get there. It's that destination piece. Now that we know some of those destinations that are wonderful, we'd like yeah. to do. What kind of, you said it's trailerable. What kind of boat did you buy? We've got a Rossboro 246 mm -hmm. and, um, you know, a, a down east style uh, trailable trawler. And it's something that we find out that we can live on for a week or two, not, <laughs> not, uh, not four years. <laughs> and I was going to ask you that because there are loopers who have done the yeah. loop in, in the Rossboro um, and been very happy doing so. And yeah. we all know this all boils down to everyone is different and, and to each their own. Um, so for you, after, after lo looping in a main ship 400, big, big boat, comfortable boat, you now have your Rossboro, but you, that was going to be my question. You wouldn't go back and, and loop again in the Rossboro for you. That would be too small. Not the whole loop. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do, we'll, we can do bits and pieces. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when you went to sell the main ship and to buy the Rossboro, did you use a broker for those transactions or did yeah. you continue? And what was the reason for the change there? Was it just because you had been through the process and, and saw where it could be useful? I think, yeah. I, I think knowledge is power. And mm -hmm. uh, having gone through and watched everything for three or four years and different things happening with different folks and it was just at that point then a no-brainer that yes, right. we would be utilizing a, a broker. And we used a, a Curtis Stokes broker that came highly recommended. Mm -hmm. um, and we used him as our seller's broker for the main ship. And then we also used him as a buyer's broker for helping us buy the Rossboro. Gotcha. And um, so the broker's fees do come out of the, the, the seller typically pays the broker's fees. Um, you know, there's been a lot of chatter on our Facebook group about, you know, brokers. And of course, in every profession, there are probably some very good and some questionable reputations. And there was a lot of chatter that the brokers really just don't do much for people. Uh -huh. um, and I know that wasn't your experience. So, um, <laughs> and if you want to tell us who the broker at Curtis Stokes and Associates was, Curtis is of course a gold, uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a Admiral, <laughs> Admiral level sponsor of AGLCA. Several of his brokers are gold loopers as well, so they understand the loops. So tell us, you know, if you would, um, you know, we never try to turn these into advertisements for our sponsors, right. but I've kind of been taken a little bit aback by the, the um, backlash that there's been from some brokers on the Facebook group. So I'd love to hear your experiences. We, we, we use Michael Martin, and um, Michael is, is, I guess, known as, as sort of the looper expert. Uh, for, for Curtis and he did a, a marvelous job. Um, he, he was out of Charleston and he, I don't know how many trips he made down to Palm Coast right. to, to work on, on getting the boat ready and then also showings and that sort of thing. Um, very, very professional and very well communicated everything quite along the way. The other thing that we did do as, as the buyer's broker, we bought our Rossboro site unseen utilizing Michael. Uh -huh. um, he, he took and, and did 
virtually all the legwork for us. And um, that was huge because we bought it during during the, the pandemic. Our first, yeah, so our first eyeballs on it were he, he set up a Zoom meeting for us and, you know, walked around the boat and that's how we saw the boat. And so yeah, Michael Mark, Michael Martin was the person, and yes, we would strongly recommend him for either end of the deal. He came recommended to us, and then we would recommend him. And he also um, he went to the survey, and we didn't because we just weren't comfortable traveling. And he did the survey. He was at the survey for you know, we couldn't have asked for anything better. So for those who kind of question, because the typical broker percentage is 10%. Um, so for those who question whether it's really worth it to pay someone 10%, and you did do this as a seller, um, what are your thoughts on that? Best money invested. <laughs> uh, it, it really it, it is, a, is a great peace of mind having somebody probably with more knowledge than at least us. Right. And, you know, what to look for, what to be wary of, um, taking and just another set of eyes and, and ears and, and, and just having a, it adds another sense of security for us. Right. And the right broker, of course, is important. Um, but because there is such a misunderstanding about this and 10% does sound like a pretty large number, but that is split between the two sides of the deal. Right. Um, of course, um, most of the bro individual brokers are independent contractors working for a brokerage. So the brokerage does, gets a share of that. The uh, independent contractor broker gets a share of that. And of course, they're incurring travel expenses, whether you're they're representing the buyer or the seller. Um, the right broker for a looper will travel to preview the boats as they did for Bobby and Bill um, to so that they don't you don't have to invest in the travel yourselves, whether it's because of COVID or otherwise. Um, you know, several trips to the boat. It's it's just I think there's it's a lot more involved than a lot of people realize. Um, and and I think the the amount of money once it's dwindled down and expenses are filtered out. And of course, if it's the selling side, they're doing a lot of uh, marketing expenses on the boat as right. well. So um, thank you for helping clarify that because I see some of the comments and I just go ooh, you know. And I'm sure there are some brokers uh, that maybe aren't quite doing it the right way and are trying to save some of those expenses, but there are several who are doing it the right way and can really be helpful, um, particularly if you're new to boating and wouldn't know what to look for, or how to go about picking a surveyor or what features might be helpful to you. Um, Bobby and Bill, you were already boaters. So I, I, you know, like I said, I think that really helped you to focus in on the main ship, but so many of our members haven't, um, boated or haven't, you know, they own a pontoon boat on a lake or, you know, a bow rider for the kids right. for the summer um, and don't even really know where to start with that features list. So, and that's a lot of the reason for this series is to help people see how others have made those decisions and focused in on the boat that they chose. Um, and I'm thrilled that you were happy with the main ship. And we know a lot of loopers do sell after they have finished the loop. And I'm also thrilled that you are still in boating and trailering your Rossi to wherever you want her to be. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing on the on going in with the main ship, we we did take in at the fall rendezvous in seventeen. We were involved with the looper crawl there, uh -huh. and yes, it is a great way to take and see the boats and 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 that sort of thing. And, yeah. and would strongly recommend that if anybody has that opportunity, that it's a great place to get out and kick the tires. 
It absolutely is. And I, I will put out there, since you mentioned you attended uh, Looper Lifestyle in Charleston in 2016, that may have been the very first Looper Lifestyle we ever did. Oh, wow. The very first one was in Charleston. Um, it, it may have been a year before that, but it was right around that time. But we are having um, finally our return to in-person events. So we do have a Looper Lifestyle coming up in Charleston, um, September 10th and 11th. The basic information and the agenda is on the greatloop.org website right now. And we'll be opening registration for that in June, I believe. Um, and then, of course, the fall rendezvous will be the first fall rendezvous. Well, the first rendezvous at all in two years. The last one we had was fall of 2019, right before everything. You know, we couldn't do the spring in 2020 or 2021 and no fall in 2020. Um, and Bobby and Bill, you know, um, Joe Wheeler State Park, where we hold it, is a really special, quaint, anyway. lovely place. Um, and right now your Homeport crew is actually kind of nervous because the, Joe Wheeler is not a big facility. And in a normal year, it typically sells out in a few days from the time we open registration. Um, so we're a little nervous about the demand this year. We know the demand is extreme because we haven't had one in two years and there's been such a increase in interest in boating during the pandemic. Um, so we are working on, you know, any changes we may make to the agenda or to registration, um, but we can't make Joe Wheeler any bigger than it is. So we're um, just trying to set the stage for folks. Um, all members will, will basically, you know, have a shot at, at registration, but we know that we cannot meet the demand out there for the fall rendezvous. And we know we'll have some people disappointed. We have added a winter rendezvous this year. Uh, well, actually it'll be 2022. It's in January um, in Fort Myers, which is going to be a fabulous event as well. Um, and we'll be having a Gold Looper reunion as part of that. So if you two can attend that, that would be wonderful. Um, but just to, to kind of set the stage for everyone, we've, we're coming back to events and they, it will be a challenge um, to get everything ramped up and, you know, get this bubble of demand through the resources we have available to us. So if you're early in the process, definitely consider the Looper lifestyle coming to Charleston in September. The fall rendezvous will be in October at Joe Wheeler State Park. And the winter rendezvous will be in January in Fort Myers. And the basic information for all those events is on the greatloop.org website on the events menu. Um, and as Bill and Bobby said, the rendezvous are great places to see yeah. lots of boats where loopers are living aboard and, and you can ask yeah. them your questions and find out what features they like or don't like. Um, and I think you're gonna find everybody, um, it can be stressful finding that boat, especially right now where the boats are selling so fast. But every time we ask somebody what they didn't like about their boat, there's always very little. <laughs> and almost nobody ever says, oh, I wish I had picked a different boat. It always, there just seems to be a really high success rate in finding the boat that fits you, as, as Bill said, like a glove, like their Mainship 400 did. So Bill and Bobby Bristow, thanks so much for being here today. And thanks for sharing the details of your adventures. Our pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. We Good wish luck. you the best and hopefully we'll see you again soon. To everyone who has listened or watched today, we thank you as well. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.